Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Every Sunday night, we, um, other than the first Sunday of the night, we actually come here at 6, six o'clock. We pray over prayer requests. So just want to remind you, if you, you take this card, you put it in the offering box in the back right here, and you can put your prayer request on it, and we will pray uh, for you. And more, you know, we'd also encourage you to join us to pray. It would be great to have you out. Um, it's a small group, but we've been praying diligently. We've seen the Lord answer prayers and things, so it's been awesome. But... Uh, Love to have you come out for that. So just a reminder of that. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would stand with me. And we're going to begin in verse 17 and work our way through the, re- the chapter this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of you, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the, let the thief no longer steal, but rather... Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to come and speak into our lives, Lord. We ask you to invade the private places. You would convict us, Lord. You would console us. You would comfort us, that you would just meet us where we are, Lord. We know that's the kind of God you are. And so we ask by the power of your spirit now that you would speak directly into our lives, And we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever like wake up in the morning and you're like start your day and everything goes exact opposite of what you planned it to be? So thank you for that. So that's exactly what has been going on this morning. It's been crazy. But thankfully, you know, the Lord 
shows up always, and he always ministers to us, and so we're thankful for that this morning. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Just, just forget I said that. I'm just venting right now, so praise the Lord. Listen, we're in a two-part message that I entitled Walking in Newness, and um, Ephesians chapter 4, that's what it's about. It's about walking in newness of life. The first 16 verses were exhorted by Paul to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you've been called. If you were part of a home fellowship, that's exactly what we talked about, more in depth about what does that mean. If you were here with us last week, you know that uh, we begin to talk about what it means to walk in newness. You were crucified with Christ. You've been buried with him. You have been raised with him to walk in Newness of life, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. As we come to verses 17 through 32 in chapter 4 of Ephesians, that's exactly what Paul wants us to understand. He wants us to look at what it means to walk in newness of life. Now, um, it, it takes a little bit of effort to do that, doesn't it? To walk. What we talk about what does it mean to walk. Well, it takes effort to walk. It takes momentum. You have to start moving. And so if you want to walk like Jesus walked, it's not just going to happen. You have to start walking. You have to put some effort into it. And that really the effort that we put into it, the spiritual sweat, if you will, is really ultimately it's about surrender and allowing God's word to penetrate your heart and begin to move things around in your life. Like he, you know, he'll do all the work, but you have to take the step. You have to walk in him, right? He's done everything for you on the cross. And so... Uh, you know, he wants us to walk in a new nature. He gave us a new nature for that reason, so that we might walk in it. Uh, some of us settle for walking in a better version of the old man. Like, we're just totally content walking in a better version of the old man. That is not what Paul was talking about when he says walk in newness of life. He's talking about everything has become new. Literally, your world's been flipped right side up, I like to say. And you are walking in a new manner. Like your, your whole trajectory of life is different. It's no longer about you. It's about Christ. The old nature, all about me. The new nature, all about Christ. And so my life looks very differently. And that's exactly what he wants us to understand. When we come to verse 17 through 19, if we, I have a, from last week, I'll show you how I divided up these verses. Verses 17 through 19 uh, the point was, uh, you know, we're called to resemble, you know, Christ, but he, he also told us not to resemble those who are Gentiles. So the point was um, that, that we are to walk not like the, I don't know how I'm, how I'm working this out, but who, who walking in the newness doesn't resemble, that's what he tells us in verses 17 through 19. In verses 20 through 24, who walking in newness does resemble, and finally, uh, verses 25 through 32, what walking in newness looks like outwardly. So last week we considered the first point. Who walking in newness does not resemble? And again, if you missed it, you can check it out at our website, ccolumbia.org, and listen to it there. Uh, we will be going through that in our home fellowships this week. And so, you know, you want to get up, you know, up to speed on that, or maybe you want to get more better prepared, listen to the message again, so that you can kind of get a feel for that. Today we're going to consider uh, who walking in newness does resemble. And I want you to draw your attention to verse 20. 
Notice what Paul says here, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So after Paul tells us what, who we ought not resemble, he now tells us who we ought to resemble. And notice he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. The way that you learned Christ. He, he, he's speaking about people who have come into relationship with Jesus. He's speaking about you. He's speaking about me. It's personal. And what he wants you to understand is that there is an us and them. There is a you and they. There is a division in the world. And you know the division and you feel the division if you're a Christian. You know how that works. But Paul wants people to, he wants these learners, literally, that word can be translated disciple. That's what a disciple is. He's a learner. He wants these uh, disciples to, those, these learners, these students of Jesus Christ to begin to walk in the same manner Jesus Christ walked. Now, you think like, wow, that's a tall order. Is it? I don't know. I mean, God put his spirit inside of us, the same spirit that Jesus walked by. We are empowered to this walk. Well, what will help us resemble Jesus? To continue to become learners of Jesus. As we sit at the feet of Jesus and we learn from him, it transforms our life. That's the whole point. He's not talking about head knowledge, right? He's talking about heart knowledge. He's talking about literal applied knowledge. He's talking about receiving the word of God so that it, so much so that it changes your life. Listen, you can impress us with how many verses you can read, you can quote in the Bible. You can stammer us by your intellectual understanding of the scriptures, but if your life does not look like Jesus, all of that is vanity. It's worthless. It is literally futility of mind. It's exactly what Jesus said not to look like, like Gentile. That's how they looked. I mean, when Paul went to Athens, one of the most, you know, astute places in all the world, and he stood upon that Acropolis there, and he began to speak to them, they all thought that they were highly wis full of wisdom and that they had way more knowledge than Paul. In fact, he was, what he was presenting them was laughable. They literally laughed him off Mars Hill. So that's the way the world looks at God's. But here's the thing is, God's, the knowledge of Jesus Christ will transform your life. And so it's interesting how we pursue being learners of many, many things in the world that translate to nothing in eternity, and we spend very little time being learners of Christ and allowing the Word of God to truly transform our lives to the point that we are walking like him, that people can see the Christ in you. That's the call. That's the call to Christian. To, to say that it's anything less than that is to water down the gospel, folks. It's to water down what Christianity really is. You know, and, and I love the, 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 the whole concept of Christianity because what it says is, it's not about me. It's not about what I like. It's not what about, about what I think. But it's all about God, and it's all about what he wants, what he likes, what he thinks. So guess what? The pressure's off. You simply need to 
make this book your manual for life and literally read it, memorize it, get it inside of you so that you can walk it out in your life. Just That's how simple it is. And yet, sometimes it's, it becomes very difficult. Listen, the world wants nothing more to be divided against Christ, hates Christ. That's why there is a division in the world. In fact, I came across this picture in, uh, on Facebook this week, and maybe you saw this picture before or not, but that is a picture of a Gentile. That is a picture of the world. Y- you know, <laughs> if Jesus returns, kill him again, right? Undo Jesus, that's the website, undojesus.org. You go to the website, it's an atheist website. Their whole point is how ridiculous Christianity is. Why? Because they are learners of themselves. They are allowing their own minds, their debased minds to take over, and now they are, uh, you know, they want nothing to do with Jesus. That's exactly how the world is towards Jesus. And why would we want to look like them? Why would we want to identify ourselves with these kind of people. That's what being like the world is like because the world is at enmity with God, folks. And so, you know, I think the more we try to be hip and become like the world, the less we will become like Jesus. You realize that, right? The less you will become like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we have to, you know, dress, you know, biblical days dress and and all of that kind of stuff. That's irrelevant, folks. What I'm talking about is our actions. What I'm talking about is, you know, our pursuits. What I'm talking about is the very things that you live for, the very things that really would, to somebody standing at your funeral one day, would say this is what this person was about, right? Really, at the end of the day, your life will be summed up within 60 minutes, within the the family that you love and the friends that you love will come together and they'll say this is who I think this person was. And ultimately, your entire life, how you live your life, will be dictated from a pulpit like this to people like you, and people will leave this place and, you know, sadly, probably forget about you. Or at the very least, not, you know, you won't occupy their minds as much as you have in the past. It's sad, isn't it? No. Not if you're a believer. Not if you're a believer. But listen, walk... And, and resemble Christ. How do I do that? I'm, I'm a learner of him. I'm a learner of him. That's, that's what I'm called to do. How do I become a better learner? There's action in learning. It's not just reading. It's not just receiving, but it's also putting it into practice. Paul says in verse 22, and to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of your life, which, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does it mean to resemble Jesus Christ? It means to walk in newness of life. It means to walk in um, a new manner. Not, not the old way, but now you're walking in the new way. You're called to put off and to put on Christ. As you learn and as you apply that will happen in your life. You'll just naturally start to do things. How many of you guys, when you first got saved, you know, there were things that you automatically put off that you didn't even think about. They just went away. Any, anything? I mean, all kinds of things happen in my life. I just put them away. I didn't even, not even intentionally. It was just the Spirit of God saying, yeah, we don't do these things and just didn't do them anymore. 
So there is that kind of putting off where the Holy Spirit just changes your life so much immediately that there's that, you know, putting off. But there is this process called sanctification, which if you're a believer today, you're in that process, and God is refining you. And that's the process that Paul is referring to. He's saying, listen, in sanctification, as God begins to, you know, craft you and mold you and make you more like Jesus, it's going to require you to put off the old man and put on the new man. The old nature doesn't want to do the things that Jesus does. So you've got to put them off. You've got to lay them aside. Now, as I said last week, that has everything to do with your mindset. You are what you think. You know, uh, whatever you allow your mind to receive is, will translate into your life somehow. So that's why we've got to be careful about what we bring in. But um, it is about a mindset. It's about either having the mindset of the new man or a mindset of the old man. Now, Paul said this in Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but what? By tran- be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and, and perfect. So if you don't want to look like the Gentile that he was speaking about in verses 17 through 19, you have to be transformed Literally, the idea, metamorphosis, the idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, you have to be transformed. Let the Word of God literally transform your mind so that you won't be conformed to the world. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator again. It's a mindset. How do I develop that mindset? Through the Word of God. You get in the Word of God. I mean, it is so simple, and yet there's times where I have conversations with people, and I'll say, I'll say, man, my life's a wreck. You know, I I, I don't understand why I'm I'm here when, you know, I don't don't know how I got here. And the first question that I ask, as is the first question you should ask anyone who says they're struggling is, how much time do you spend in the Word? How much time do you spend in the Word? Are you reading your Bible? Well, uh, well uh, what, does that make a difference? <laughs> yeah, it does. It makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. If you, if you spend time in God's Word, He'll begin to craft your mind, and that's what we talk about. How do I develop a, a biblical worldview? You know, how do I know that abortion's wrong? Well, if you never read God's Word and you're just basing it on your opinion and ev- what everybody else says about it, then you're going to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. A woman should have a choice and all that. But when you look at the Word of God, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just trying to tell you that it's in the Word. You know, you look to the Word. We don't look to what other people think or what I think. We look to the Word of God. It, through the knowledge of the Word of God, it transforms our life. That's what he's saying. If you don't, allow your mind to be transformed, then you will continue to live in the old man. You'll be continued to clothe in the filthy garments of the old man. Uh, you will be, as Paul says here, you will be wrought with corruptness, literal, literally perverse depravity. Be wrought with perverse depravity, he says, through deceitful desires. You know those ones, don't you? The deceitful ones? You know, the ones that tell you that 
Oh, just, just take hold of this. It will be so good for you. It will satisfy you so much if you'll just grab hold of this thing and allow it to have a, have a place in your life. You'll be, you'll be so happy. And really, when you do that, it's the direct opposite, isn't it? Because here's the thing is, the flesh will never be satisfied. So when you lay hold of something that it desires, it literally imprisons you, shackles you. It takes you captive. The next thing you know, you're way deeper than you ever thought you would go because you were deceived by your own desires. Put off the old man. It, the old man does have desires. You know, it, it will desire to be satisfied. That's why Paul said, I beat my body into submission. You know, I love uh, a guy that I love to listen to, Damian Kyle. He says, I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, I say, I'm going to battle you all day long. And that is the truth. You're going to have to battle yourself. It's a war. There's a battle going on. And you know, God wins always. The question is, will you let him win in your life? The question is, will you let him, live, will, will you let him win in your life? It's not a matter of needing more power. It's not a matter of, you know, getting something more from God. It's a matter of applying what you already know. It's that simple. Because God doesn't call us to do things that he didn't already empower us to do, that he didn't already give us the ability to do. The old adage is true. Lust is like a fire. The more you feed it, the more it demands. The hotter it gets, the hotter it burns. It is true. You feed your, your sinful desires, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, we've got to kill those things and, and not allow to be ourselves to be deceived. Like, oh, you can, you, can, you can eat just one lay chip, can't you? Of course not. Of course you can't. You can't just sin a little bit. You can't just indulge a little bit. It will lead to more and more and more. So Paul is saying you've got to put off that. How do we put it off? By the renewing of our mind, by being learners of Christ, we allow the Word of God to transform our lives. We need our minds to be renewed, he said, so that we can put on the new man, created after the likeness of God in true, listen, righteousness and holiness. That's our God. He is righteous and he is holy. And if you want to become like him, you must be transformed with the renewing of your mind. You have to be renewed in your mind. And we do that through the Word of God. It transforms us. It gives us a mind like Christ. Jesus, you know, I think about this. He was the Word of God literally. Literally. You read John 1.1. It wasn't just kind of a cool phrase. It was a literal phrase to say that He is a walking Bible. He is the Word of God. You watch Jesus' life, if you walk like Jesus walked, you will walk out the Word of God in your life because He is the Word made flesh. Listen, some people say that, you know, that really ultimately should be the witness of our lives, that we should be walking Bibles, not having to say a word. All people have to do is view our life. If we want the character of Christ, which is righteousness and holiness, we have to be renewed in our minds. Now, th this idea of being righteous and being holy, Paul's pointing us, actually, to the Ten Commandments here. He's pointing us back to the law. Well, I thought I was saved under grace. Well, you are, but you have to understand what 
grace does for you. You have to understand what grace, how, how grace transforms your life and causes you to live out the word of God. Righteousness. Literally, this, this is referring to those commands that relate to uh, fellow man, to your fellow man. The last six commandments of the, of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 17, I'm just going to summarize it for you, but it's honor your father and mother. You know, don't commit a murder, adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet. You want to be righteous? Don't do those things. That's what they, that's, that will, that's righteousness. How do I do that? Through the renewal of your mind. And when you are walking in the new man, guess what? There's not a lot of effort in that. You just do it. Because it's part of the new nature. Secondly, he's talking about holiness. Literally, to be set apart, to be of a completely other. That, that is what it means. He's pointing at these, these laws relate to God to God in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 11, summarized in these commands. You shall not have, have no other God before you. You shall not make uh, carved images for yourselves. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So those four commands. Again, in the new nature, in the new self, holiness and righteousness are within you already. They're in the inner person. They are, somebody's not happy. Is that, is that the old man or the new man? <laughs> Listen, here, here's the thing is, we already possess these things. Holiness, righteousness. You don't have to work at them. They're in you. What you have to work at is putting off the old man so that they can come out in you. That's ultimately what you have to do. The believer's truest self, whereby we're relating to man and to God through righteousness and holiness, comes about through the new nature. And it will just automatically happen. It will it'll happen naturally, not through obligation. Oh, I have to do this, this, and this, and I'm keeping a real clear chart and all this stuff. Listen, at the end of the day, if you're allowing the Word of God to get in your life, you will live like Jesus. Not because your memorized verses and you've got a list of do's and don'ts just because it's in your nature to do that. The new nature comes like literally programmed to walk like this. And so that's why we need to walk in the new man. Secondly, as we come to verses 25 through 32, we find what walking in newness looks like outwardly. Paul says, okay, put on and put off in verses you know, he tells us to do it. Then he tells us practically what it looks like. What am I to put off? What am I to put on? There's five specific things that he mentions here in verses 25 through 32. The first thing that he tells us to put off is falsehood, and we are called to put on truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth in his, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, I love this because Paul... He, he, he transitions from speaking about what you already have, the reality that you already have the new nature in you as a result of Christ. You're not trying to get the new nature. You're not working at it to, be, to become new. You already are new. What you're doing is not allowing the old man to dilute or diminish the work of the new man in your life. And so he, he says, okay, so w when you got that, when you're renewed in your mind, 
Here's what the process that will start to happen. The first thing that he, he mentions is that you will put away falsehood. Now, he says this in past tense, having put away. It's already done. Wait a second. How is it already done? Through the Spirit of God. It's already done for you. It's past tense. You just need to walk in it. Having put away falsehood, he says, let each one of you speak the truth with your neighbor. Having put away. It literally means to, to, um, to stop doing it, to, to lay it aside. He wants us to take up the mantle of speaking the truth. That's what Jesus is like. He always spoke the truth. What I want you to understand here is it's not enough to just stop lying. It's not enough to just stop, you know, to put away falsehood. That isn't enough. It, it's, it, it would be like, okay, well, I'm not lying. I don't lie to people. We say that, right? I'm not a liar. I, I, I'm great. But let me ask you a question. Do you always speak the truth? Liar. I knew I'd get you guys. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you're like, whoa, did you just call me a liar? I'm offended. I was kidding. But here's the thing is, the reality is this, is that, you know, we have to also put on the truth. We need to put on the, the willingness to, to verbalize the truth. And I know the battle. It's not easy sometimes. There are times when you come across a situation and you're just like, man, I really don't want to say this to this person, but they're in sin. They're in sin. How do I know when I should speak the truth or not? Well, you should always speak the truth, but how do I know when I should overlook something or actually address it? When sin is involved. When there's sin, that's when you address things. You say, hey, because again, as I've said multiple times, God just doesn't reveal stuff just so you can know. He's like, hey, I just want to let you in on this. So-and-so is doing this. No, he wants you to be tangible Jesus to somebody. He wants you to speak into their life. And how you do it's crucial. But many of us will just sh shake the responsibility. We just won't do it. We'll just be, well, I'm not lying, though. I'm not lying. No, no, put off to put on. Put on the truth. Be willing to speak the truth in love. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's saying right here, we're speaking the truth. Why? Because we're, we're all members of the same body. What affects you affects, or what affects that person will affect you. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, if you see something going on in somebody's life, you want to address it. Not only for their sake, you know, but primarily for their sake, but it will also affect you. Well, my sin doesn't affect anybody else. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Be, beware. How am I supposed to, when I speak the truth, I'm supposed to speak the truth in love. What does that look like? Very simply, Galatians chapter, one, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's just interesting that oftentimes we... We'll point the sin out, but we won't help the brother or the sister. We'll just point it out to them. Man, you know, you, I can't believe you're doing this. <laughs> See you later. Wait, let's restore that person. Let's help that person. How can I come alongside you? Doesn't that just say to bear their burden? Literally to take, the, to shoulder their problem. Hey, let me help you. Now, if you're doing that, you need to understand that you got to give that to Jesus, right? You're not supposed to carry it. He said, you know, it, he said, bring your burdens to me. I'll, I'll take them. But 
when you're bearing one another's burdens, you're taking the burden off of them and you're placing it on Christ. You give it to Jesus. But that's what we're called to do as brothers and sisters, man. Not to simply just stop lying, but also to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth to one another because we are one body. Next, Paul says, we're called to put off anger and put on reconciliation. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul says there is such a thing as righteous anger. I just don't think that we ever really exercise it much. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but we probably don't do it, do it like it should be done. Listen, this is the kind of anger. This is crucial you understand this. This is the type of anger that is not centered on itself. It's not centered on the fact that I'm offended. Even if, if, even if it has to do with sin, it's not, offended be, it's not about your being offended. It's about God. It's a righteous anger that has to do with anything that hinders him, anything that might get in the way of people seeing him. You know, it's the type of anger that Jesus had when he went into the temple, right? And he flipped tables over. I think there's a huge lesson in that because we use that and we'll say, well, you know, Jesus went into, you're mad at, at somebody who's not a Christian and then you justify it and, you, and you're ruthless with them and you're justified by saying Jesus went into the temple and he flipped tables over. Where was he at? Who was he coming down on? Not people who didn't pretend to be Christians or pretend to be, you know, believers following. He came into the temple, into the house of God. His anger was at the result of the worship that was being hindered by these people who were ripping his people off. That's what he was angry about. But did you ever see Jesus walk into a sinner's house and flip their tables over? Did you ever see him walk into a bar and flip the tables over? Did you ever see Jesus walk into a a drug-infested home and, say, and flip the tables over? No. Why? Because he, although he is angry with sin, he knows how to exercise that anger. And his compassion and love for people far outweighs his anger, folks. Don't justify yourself when it's not righteous anger. You know, be, righteous anger is exercised, I believe, solely in the context of when it's interrupting worship. That angers me. When God's, when the attention is drawn away from God onto somebody else, that's righteous anger because God isn't getting the glory he should get. But beware not to try and exercise that in the world. Jesus didn't. Why should we? There is a, a kind of anger that is unrighteous, though. And that, that kind of anger is... It is self-focused, it's self-defending, it's self-vindicating. They wronged me, they hurt me. It's, it's an anger that breeds resentment. That's the kind of anger that Paul's saying, hey, be careful with that anger. That anger is sinful anger. That anger will wreck your life. It'll well you up with bitterness. It'll create division within your life. That's not, that's not righteous anger. Yeah, but they, I know, I know, but it's about forgiveness, right? It's about being forgiving towards one another. You might think, oh, well, I don't, I don't struggle with that. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You know it already. 
He said, man, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire. So to be angry is to murder. And to unrighteous anger is murder in God's eyes. It's murder, being angry like that. It's an abomination. Why? Because, as Paul goes on to say, it gives the devil an opportunity. It gives him, some of your translations might say foothold. It gives the devil a foothold. Listen, when you open the door with unrighteous anger, which seems so righteous, what ends up happening is the devil has a way in. He's always looking for the back door, folks, looking for any way to get into your life whatsoever. And he knows the windows, and he knows the cracks, and he will slip in, I promise. He says, don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't, when he comes in, he will ravish you internally, which will eventually make its way externally out in your life. This is how divorce happens. This, <laughs> this is exactly what happens. You know, it starts with a comment, right? And at some point, there's a level, there is a line that somebody's drawn in their heart that says, if you cross this line and you hurt me with one more of those comments... I'm not going to love you. So here comes, you know, the husband obviously is the one that does it. I mean, they're just not smart people. I mean, we, we just don't know when to stop, and we don't know what to say. So you got to be gracious with us. But let's use this example. The husband says something hurtful to the wife. Does this dress make me look fat? Um, no. No, but... But you say something hurtful to your wife. And she takes it inside and she begins to boil over it. You know what's happening inside? It's like a knife. And that knife is just cutting you up inside. And, and, and as you, the more you meditate on it, the more it cuts, the deeper it goes. And you don't deal with it and you let it go. But you know in your heart that you're angry with him. And you're not going to let it go. Well, according to James, what happens is there's a breeding process that begins to happen. And that little cut or whatever it is, it may be even a big cut. But, you know, it's, it's best to deal with the wound immediately, right? So you can stop the bleeding. But if you let it go, it gets worse. And then it becomes infected. And the next thing you know, you're so... You're so cut up inside. You, you, there's so much bitterness and so much anger over something that happened, you know, months ago to the point that you made a decision months ago to stop loving that person. And that's the way it works. That's exactly how this thing works. Paul says you've got to put off the anger. You've got to deal with it immediately because if you don't, the enemy will get a foothold and he'll keep jabbing you with it. And he'll continue to, you know, and you'll be just shredded inside eventually. And I'm convinced that many relationships have been devastated by something like that, a comment or two. Not to justify. But I'm just saying a lot, oftentimes it's the little things 
that we allow to fester like a sliver, and then it becomes a big issue, and then you want to cut it off. Beware of these things. Don't allow, when he's, when he's talking about don't, let, don't allow the sun to go down on your anger, he's literally saying don't let it go. You know, and we're, we're famous for that, for letting it go. Don't let it go. Deal with it. If there's something going on in your life right now and you've allowed it to fester, and you know God's speaking to you right now, deal with it today. Don't let it go on any further. Deal with it today. Because eventually, you know, you're the one, number one, that's being drawn away from the Lord. The enemy's using it to draw you away from him and, you know, away from God because Jesus is incredibly forgiving even when he's wronged, right? I mean, he was crucified being crucified by, by the hands of sinners, and he's crying out, Father, forgive them. Listen, today is the day to deal with that, if that's you. Don't let another day go by. And, and here's the thing is forgiveness is the key, but it's also a decision. It's a decision. You may not feel like doing it. There's lots of stuff I don't feel like doing either. But when we make a decision to do it, the Lord matches that decision with his grace, with the power of his spirit. Make that decision, man. Don't put that off. Put off anger. Put on reconciliation. Put it on. Don't give the enemy an opportunity. Thirdly, he says, put off corrupt talk and, um, or, or put off stealing and put on honest labor. Look at verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Thievery in the Bible is always associated with occupation. It's always associated with work. It's of somebody's job. You know, that, and, and oftentimes when you read through the Proverbs or whatever, it talks about don't use, you know, um, dishonest weights. You know, when you're weighing things out or when you're trading things, don't, don't take your silver and your gold and, and, you know, dilute it with other kinds of metals to make it heavier so that you can get more money for it. Don't steal. Don't do, don't do these kinds of things. Don't trade things that aren't legitimate. Don't, you know, don't pay with things that aren't real. That's a trait of the old man. <laughs> Some of you guys are saying work hard, not smart. Or work smart, not hard, right? Wrong. Be honest. Do the right thing. He's talking about doing things with an ethical heart, not just for the sake of morality, but because that's how Jesus operated. You realize when you take something that doesn't belong to you that is stealing, it doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what it is. You know, you're in your office and you're thinking like, well, they got 3,000 pins here. They won't mind if I take a couple. You know, look at how many reams of paper they have. I'll just take one of those home. And I am doing some things, you know. I am doing this or that or whatever. And, and you just start to justify in your mind the stealing. The stealing. There's all kinds of things that we do like that. And I'm going to step on some toes today. I don't, I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm trying to get you to understand. For instance, did you know that that, you know, you, you can rob governing authorities of what's rightfully theirs? What do I mean? When, you're, when you receive income into your, into your life, 
I don't care what format it comes in, cash, credit card, whatever, when you receive that into your life, you're, you know, according to the way that our governing authorities work, you're supposed to document that. And you're supposed to pay taxes on it. Oh, they'll never know. They will never know. But God knows. And God cares. He cares about this stuff. Like, it's, it's a matter of personal integrity in these situations where there is no accountability. It's a personal integrity issue, saying, well, God, God, you know, you know that they take enough from us. Oh, he appointed these people. We're called to submit to them. You know, do the right thing. I'm not saying, hey, I'm all for trying to find different ways to not pay taxes. You know, that's great. There's laws for that. And there's people that understand those laws, so you let them figure that out. But be, be honest, you know, bear, be honest about what it is that, you know, is in your life. Did you know that you can actually rob God? You can rob the Lord. How? He's given you everything that you have. Everything that you have is all his. The Bible talks about being a giver and giving to the Lord. And when you give to the Lord, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the, 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 the mandate is tithe, 10%. You have to do this or whatever. Because I think that the New Testament ordinance um, that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians is literally what God cares about. It's, it's a matter of the heart. But what you will see Paul say is, when you give. It's a, it's a matter of not if you give, but when you give. So there is the mandate of giving to the Lord, right? You need to give to the Lord. And if you don't, you're robbing God. You're robbing the Lord. Don't rob the Lord. Give whatever, however he wants you to give. He wants you to give generously, but give. However, you know, not begrudgingly, like I have to do this. You give according to, the, according to whatever the Lord's put on your heart to do it. Don't rob him. You're stealing from the Lord. There's so many examples of how we can do these things. He says, put off stealing. Put on us the honest labor. Do the right things. You know, because here's what happens is, when you, when you put on honest labor, you have to trust God. You have to trust him to provide for you or to take care of these things, don't you? Here's what I'll tell you. Personal testimony. Uh, I've done it both ways. And I can tell you that it's way better when you do it, what, what Paul's talking about, when you put off stealing and you put on the new man and you, and you walk in honest labor, God will bless your socks off. And, and I'll tell you, before I was a Christian, I did some things that were unethical, but they owed it to me, right? Just like they owe it to you. Wrong. Wrong. Don't do that. Walk in the newness of life. Walk in the new man. Paul goes on in verse 29, put off corrupt talk, put on edifying Words, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as is fit for the occasion that it, might, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, this is a problem in the church today. Corrupt talk. The idea is it's the kind of talk that is unwholesome, tasteless, worthless. Speaking about gossip, slander. It also includes foul talk such as coarse language. Listen, we just learned earlier that we're called to be righteous and holy. We're called to be righteous and holy. Believers ought not be using the Lord's name in vain. OMG is not acceptable in the Lord's eyes. But I'm going to put it on, you know, whatever. I'm just saying, acronyms, God knows what they mean. He's not stupid. We know what they mean. He knows what they mean, right? And all the other acronyms that identify with 
curse words or whatever, they shouldn't be in, on, our, on our posts. They shouldn't be in our lives. We shouldn't be verbalizing those things. Why? Because it's corrupt talk. We know what we're saying when we're saying it. Nor should we replace curse words with words that are meant to be those words, just a little bit different, you know? And, and I'm speaking to myself even. Let no corrupt come. I mean, can we not, do we not have enough words to figure out how to say what we want to say without saying it like that? Or are we just trying to be cultural? You know, it's sad to say, but dudes do it in the pulpit. Guys do it in the pulpit. They, they use these kind of words in the pulpit. And, and oftentimes, even the real words. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Don't be a gossiper. Don't slander people. Listen, if you have a question about something, go ask the person. You've got a question about anything, you know, come ask me. I'm, I'm willing to sit down and talk to you. I'd love to sit down and talk to you. Don't, don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't talk about, you know, in a prayer request format about what's going on in somebody else's life because you want to slander them or you want to gossip about Don't do that. No corrupt talk. Listen, we're called to put on edifying words. What, what do those words do? They build the body up. They bring unification in the body. That's what we're called to do. We know that it's out of the abundance of the mouth that the heart speaks. So we know that, that the reality is that whatever we're verbalizing is an, as a result of what's going on internally in our hearts. It's a, it's a result of what's going on in your heart. Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be, with grace, be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Notice Paul says, he goes on here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is to suggest that corrupt talk, unwholesome uh, talk, these, these kind of things, grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve? Literally to weep, to cry, to be, listen, he's not crying for him, he's crying for you. He's not, he, he, he understands, he's grieved, you know, as a result for you because he cares about you. He cares about what's going to affect you. Because he understands that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He understands that a little, you let a little corruptness in your life and it will breed itself. Grieves the Holy Spirit. Not just that, but any sin. When we choose to lie instead of speak the truth, when we choose to become unrighteously angry rather than being righteously angry, when we, when we choose to steal instead of labor honestly, when we choose to speak corruptly instead of using edifying and gracious words, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. He's sad. He's saddened by these things because he knows that it will kill us. Paul says if you go on, if you grieve the Spirit long enough, if you grieve him, there, it comes up to a point where you will quench him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit of God. It's not the same thing. You know what quench means? Man, that really quenched my thirst. It put it out literally means to extinguish, to extinguish the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. How? By sin. By allowing these things to fester in your life, to allow, allowing them to just exist in your life. You will quench the Holy Spirit. Does that mean he leaves you? No. It doesn't mean he leaves you. But if you're at that point in your life, you better be asking yourself, is he there in the first place? You better ask yourself. And here's the thing. Paul goes on to here to say this. He says, listen, you're sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says that. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that he is our, he is our 
covering. He is our guarantee that Christ is coming back for us. So it's not a matter of, you know, you know sin in our life or whatever, it, whether or not we get the Holy Spirit leaves or comes. He doesn't leave or come. You're sealed if you're sealed. The question is, are you sealed? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? If you are, it's till the day of redemption. Till Jesus Christ comes back. So what am I called to do during that process? Put on and put off. Put on and put off. We're called to just continue to strip ourselves of the filth, filthy, corruptive clothing and put on Christ in our life. Lastly, he tells us here, put off natural vices. Put on spiritual virtues. Verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Paul is saying exactly what Jesus said in the idea that the inward heart is what makes you unclean. Remember the Pharisees were asking, well, you know, you guys are eating with, your hands aren't washed, you're eating with them, now you're unclean. Jesus said, dude, the reality is, is you're unclean even though you washed your hands because uncleanliness has to do with the inside, not the outside. And Paul's saying everything that he's talking about here has to do, it, it has to do with the inside first and then it comes outward. It ends up coming out of your life. What do I mean? These sins, bitterness, wrath, and anger, all inward sins, they, they begin in the heart of a person. They start there. And then what happens is, they manifest themselves into clamor, into, um, w w which means uh, to the, the sound of a loud scream or shout, an outcry, or to slander, which literally means to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure his or her reputation, to verbally abuse. Or, finally, he goes on to say malice. Listen, at some point in time in your life, as you allow the inward to be affected by sin, it'll come out outwardly to the point that you will harm people on purpose. It's a result of what's going on internally. These are the vices of the old man. Paul says, put on supernatural virtues such as kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. All of these things happen internally, don't they? How can I be kind unless my heart is kind, right? I can't be kind outwardly unless I'm kind inwardly. It's, it won't happen. You know, he goes on to say, how can I be tenderhearted? How can I be compassionate towards people? If I don't have a compassionate heart, I will not be compassionate towards people. Forgiveness. Where does forgiveness start? It starts in here. It starts with the decision to say, I will forgive. It's an internal thing. And then it makes its way outward. You can't expect God to just come in and take it away. And now you're going to be able to forgive somebody. No, you choose to do it, and then he will deal with it ex externally. Then he will begin the process of dealing with it externally. But you take the step by faith initially, and you allow him to do that. It's a, it's a decision. It starts inwardly. Forgiveness, birth, internally, all these things. Paul, Paul listen to what he says. The depth of our forgiveness should be matched with that of God's forgiveness towards us. Oh, Man, that is deep. That's a serious forgiveness, folks. That's a forgiveness, as I said before, that when wrong, you're still willing and choosing to forgive someone. Why? Because you care more about them than you care about yourself. 
How can that happen? Through the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. That's why we have to put on that new nature. We have to walk in that new nature. That new nature comes infused with power from the Holy Spirit to walk in it. How are you ever going to forgive somebody? Or how are you ever going to be kind to those people? Or how are you ever going to have compassion for that situation unless you allow the Holy Spirit to bring the new man into that situation and empower you to do it? You can't do it any other way. You need the Spirit of God in your life. Listen, we should be more focused on, you know, surrendering to Him than, than really ultimately asking Him to do more. You know what I'm saying? Because it would, that, that's to say that God hasn't given you enough. But Paul already said in the first three chapters of, this, of Ephesians that we have enough. We've been given the riches of Christ. We get everything that we need for life and godliness. We have those things. But the reality is we need to walk in them. Surrender is the key, folks. It's a willingness to say, this is not about me. You know, this isn't about my interests or about my, uh, you know, what I care about or about my likes or anything like that. This is about God. And God, I want to do your will, whatever that means for me. Jesus Christ prayed that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. Are you willing to pray that prayer this morning? If you don't have these virtues in your life, if you, are, if you are struggling with the old man and he has power over your life today, the answer obviously is to be a learner. It's to be in the word of God. The Holy Spirit has some, some things that he can I- implement in your life and remind you of. But ultimately, it comes down to surrender. And the spirit of God will lead you into all truth. He will lead you to the word. He will lead you to be a student of Jesus Christ. He will point us right to Jesus. So, the question comes this morning, hey, if you're struggling with these things, putting on and putting off, the answer is to simply surrender to the Lord this morning and just say, Holy Spirit, I want to give you all of me today, and I need your help in these areas of my life, and you can make that personal for you. But as you do that, God will infuse you with the ability to do it because you're saying, I want to put off the old man, and I want to put on the new man. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so thankful that you're here and that you care about every situation, Father. You care about every circumstance that has gone on in our lives. There's not a single thing that you don't know about. And what's incredible is you know the truth about every situation. You know the reality of why these things happen. You know what was said and and how it came across and all of these things, Father. And we're so thankful that you are so big that you can work in any situation today. And so as your, as your body this morning, God, we want to come before you and be honest with you today. Lord, if, if there are things in our lives that where we're struggling with putting off, Lord, we want to surrender those things to your Holy Spirit this morning. We want to ask you to help us, Lord, in these areas. We... <laughs> We know that's your will. We know your will is for us to walk as Jesus walked. And so would you give us the ability today, Lord, to surrender to you so that we can walk in these things. Lord, we want to be honest. So we just ask you to come by your spirit right now. Just move in our hearts. And we just want to surrender to you. It's all about you, God. Father, I I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that's never come into that right relationship with you, that you help them to take that step this morning by confessing you as Lord and Savior, saying, "I, I need 
the forgiveness that Christ came to give. And I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you today and receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, crowning Him King and giving Him authority and power over my life. So we know that it's less about the words and more about the heart, Lord. We ask you to just help us to to, to move in this place in these last few minutes as your spirit would lead us. We thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.